0: Chapter Three of the Olive Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Agnew. The Olive Fairy Book by Andrew Lang. Chapter Three Jurla, the King's Daughter. One day a powerful king and his beautiful wife were sitting in the gardens of their capital city, talking earnestly about the future life of their little son, who was sleeping by their side in his beautiful golden cradle. They had been married for many years without children, so when this baby came they thought themselves the happiest couple in the whole world. He was a fine, sturdy little boy who loved to kick AND TO STRIKE OUT WITH HIS FISTS, BUT EVEN IF HE HAD BEEN WEAK AND SMALL, THEY STILL WOULD HAVE THOUGHT HIM THE MOST WONDROUS CREATURE UPON EARTH, AND SO ABSORBED WERE THEY IN MAKING PLANS FOR HIM THAT THEY NEVER NOTICED A HUGE DARK SHADOW CREEPING UP, TILL A HORRIBLE HEAD WITH GLEAMING TEETH STRETCHED OVER THEM, AND IN AN INSTANT THEIR BELOVED BABY WAS SNATCHED AWAY. For a while the king and queen remained where they were, speechless with horror. Then the king rose slowly, and holding out his hand to his wife, led her weeping into the palace, and for many days their subjects saw no more of them. Meanwhile the dragon soared high into the air, holding the cradle between his teeth, and the baby still slept on. He flew so fast that he soon crossed the borders of another kingdom, and again he beheld the king and queen of the country, seated in the garden, with a little girl lying in a wonderful cradle of white satin and lace. Swooping down from behind, as he had done before, he was just about to seize the cradle, when the king jumped up and dealt him such a blow with his golden staff that the dragon not only started back, but in his pain let fall the boy, as he spread his wings and stored into the air away from all danger. That was a narrow escape, said the king, turning to his wife, who sat pale with fright and clasping her baby tightly in her arms. Frightful, murmured the queen, but look, what is that glittering object that is lying out there? The king walked in the direction of her finger, and to his astonishment, beheld another cradle and another baby. Ah, the monster must have stolen this as he sought to steal Jurla, cried he, and stooping lower he read some words that were written on the fine linen that was round around the boy. This is Grethory, son of Grethry the King. Unfortunately it happened that the two neighboring monarchs had had a serious quarrel and for some years had ceased holding communication with each other. So, instead of sending a messenger at once to Grethary to tell him the safety of his son, the king contented himself with adopting the baby, which was brought up with Gerlach the princess. For a while things went well with the children, who were as happy as the day was long. But at last there came a time when the queen could no more run races or play hide-and-seek with them in the garden, as she was so fond of doing, but lay and watched them from a pile of soft cushions. By and by she gave up doing even that, and the people in the palace spoke with low voices, and even Gerla and Grethry trod gently and moved quietly when they drew near her room. At length one morning— They were sent for by the king himself who his eyes red with weeping told them that the queen was dead great was the sorrow of the two children for they had loved the queen very dearly and life seemed dull without her but the lady-in-waiting who took care of them in the tower which had been built for them while they were still babies was kind and good and when the king was busy or away in other parts of his kingdom she made them quite happy, and saw that they were taught everything that a prince and princess ought to know. Thus two or three years passed, when one day, as the children were anxiously awaiting their father's return from a distant city, there rode post-haste into the courtyard of the palace a herald whom the king had sent before him, to say that he was bringing back a new wife. Now, in itself, there was nothing very strange or dreadful in the fact that the king should marry again. But, as the old lady-in-waiting soon guessed, the queen, in spite of her beauty, was a witch, and it was easy to see that she was jealous of everyone who might gain power over her husband. It boded ill for Jerlog and Jethry. The faithful woman could not sleep for thinking about her charges, and her soul sank when, a few months after the marriage, war broke out with a country across the seas, and the king rode away at the head of his troops. Then there happened what she had so long expected. One night, when, unlike her usual habit, she was sleeping soundly afterwards she felt sure that a drug had been put into her food—the witch came to the tower. Exactly what she did there no one knew, but— when the sun rose the beds of grethry and Gerla were empty at dawn the queen summoned some of her guards and told them that she had been warned in a dream that some evil fate would befall her through a wild beast and bade them go out and kill every animal within two miles of the palace but the only beasts they found were two black foals of wondrous beauty fitted for the king's riding it seemed a pity to kill them for what harm could two little foals do any one so they let them run away frisking over the plain and returned to the palace did you see nothing really nothing asked the queen when they again appeared before her nothing your majesty they replied but the queen did not believe them and when they were gone she gave orders to her steward that at supper the guards should be well plied with strong drink so that their tongues should be loosened and further that he was to give heed to their babbles and report to her whatever they may let fall your majesty's commands have been obeyed said the steward when late in the evening he begged admittance to the royal apartments but after all the men have told you the truth I listened to their talk from beginning to end, and nothing did they see save two black foals. He might have added more, but the look in the queen's blazing eyes terrified him, and he bowed hastily. He backed quickly out of her presence. In a week's time the king came home, and right glad were all the courtiers to see him. Now perhaps you will find someone else to scream at, whispered they amongst themselves. She was the queen, who had vented her rage on her attendants during these days, though what had happened to make her so angry nobody knew. But whatever might be the meaning of it, things would be sure to improve with the king to rule in the palace instead of his wife. Unfortunately, their joy only lasted a short while, for the very first night after the king's arrival the queen related the evil dream she had dreamt in his absence and begged him to go out the next morning and kill every living creature he saw within two miles of the city the king who always believed everything the queen said promised to do as she wished but before he had ridden through the lovely gardens that surrounded the palace he was attracted by the singing of two little bluebirds perched on a scarlet-berried holly which made him think of everything beautiful that he had ever heard of or imagined hour after hour passed by and still the birds sang and still the king listened though of course he never guessed that it was jurlog and grathry whose notes filled him with enchantment at length darkness fell the birds voices were hushed and the king awoke with a start to find "'for that day his promise to the queen could not be kept. "'Well, did you see anything?' she asked eagerly "'when the king entered her apartments. "'Ah, my dear, I am almost ashamed to confess to you, "'but the fact is that before I rode as far as the western gate "'the singing of two strange little bluebirds "'made me forget all else in the world. "'And you will hardly believe it, but not until it grew dark did i remember where i was and what i should have been doing however to-morrow nothing shall hinder me from fulfilling your desires there will be no tomorrow," muttered the queen as she turned away with a curious glitter in her eyes but the king did not hear her that night the king gave a great supper in the palace in honor of the victory he had gained over the enemy the three men whom the queen had sent forth to slay the wild beasts held positions of trust in the household for to them was committed the custody of the queen's person and on the occasion of the feast their places were always next to that of the king so that it was easy for the queen to scatter a slow but fatal poison in their cups without any one being the wiser before dawn the palace was roused by the news that the king was dead, and that the three officers of the guards were dying also. Of course, nobody's cries and laments were as loud as those of the queen, but when, once the splendid funeral was over, she gave out that she was going to shut herself up in a distant castle till the year of her mourning was over, and after appointing a regent of the kingdom, she set out, attended by only a maid, who knew all her secrets. Once she had left the palace, she quickly began to work her spells, to discover under what form Gerla and Grethry lay hidden. Happily, the princess had studied magic under a former governess, so was able to fathom her stepmother's wicked plot, and hastily changed herself into a whale, and her foster brother into its fin. Then the queen took the shape of a shark and gave chase. For several hours a fierce battle raged between the whale and the shark, and the sea round was red with blood. First one of the combatants got the better, and then the other. But at length it became plain to the crowd of little fishes gathered round to watch that the victory would be to the whale. And so it was. But when, after a mighty struggle, the shark floated dead and harmless on the surface of the water... "'and the whale was so exhausted that she had only strength enough "'to drag her wounded body into a quiet little bay. "'And for three days she remained there as still and motionless "'as if she had been dead herself. "'At the end of the three days her wounds were healed, "'and she began to think what it was best to do. "'Let us go back to your father's kingdom.' she said to Grethrie, when they both resumed their proper shapes, and were sitting on a high cliff above the sea. How clever you are! I never should have thought of that, answered Grethory, who, in truth, was not clever at all. But Jurilog took a small box of white powder from her dress, and sprinkled some over him and some over herself, and quicker than lightning they found themselves in the palace grounds FROM WHICH GRETHERY HAD BEEN CARRIED OFF BY THE DRAGON SO MANY YEARS BEFORE. NOW TAKE UP THE BAND WITH THE GOLDEN LETTERS, AND BIND IT ABOUT YOUR FOREHEAD, SAID JURLA, AND GO boldly UP TO THE CASTLE, AND REMEMBER, HOWEVER GREAT MAY BE YOUR THIRST, YOU MUST DRINK NOTHING TILL YOU HAVE FIRST SPOKEN TO YOUR FATHER. IF YOU DO, ILL WILL BEFALL US BOTH. WHY SHOULD I BE THIRSTY? "'replied Grethry, staring at her in astonishment. "'It will not take me five minutes to reach the castle gate.' Gerla held her peace, but her eyes had in them a sad look. "'Good-bye,' she said at last, and she turned and kissed him. "'Grethry had spoken truly when he declared "'that he could easily get to the castle in five minutes. "'At least no one would have dreamed that it could possibly take any longer.' Yet, to his surprise, the door, which stood so widely open that he could see the color of the hangings within, never appeared to grow any nearer, while each moment the sun burned more hotly, and his tongue was parched with thirst. I don't understand. What can be the matter with me, and why haven't I reached the castle long ago, he murmured to himself, as his knees began to knock under him with fatigue, and his head to swim. For a few more paces he staggered on blindly, when, suddenly, the sound of rushing water smote upon his ears, and, in a little wood that bordered the path, he beheld a stream falling over a rock. At this sight his promise to Jurla was forgotten. Fighting his way through the brambles that tore his clothes, he cast himself down beside the fountain, and, seizing the golden cup that hung from a tree, he drank a deep draught. When he rose up, the remembrance of Jurlaug and of his past life had vanished, and instead something stirred dimly within him at the vision of the white-haired man and woman who stood in the open door with outstretched hands. "'Grethry! Grethry! So you have come home at last!' cried they. For three hours Jurlaug waited in the spot where Grethry had left her, and then she began to understand what had happened. Her heart was heavy, but she soon made up her mind what to do, and pushing her way out of the wood, she skirted the high wall that enclosed the royal park and gardens, till she reached a small house where the forester lived with his two daughters. Do you want a girl to sweep and to milk the cows? asked she, when one of the sisters answered her knock yes we do very badly and as you look strong and clean we will take you for a servant if you like to come replied the young woman but first what is your name lofertha said gerla quickly for she did not wish anyone to know who she was and following her new mistress into the house she begged to be taught her work without delay and so clever was she that by and by it began to be noised abroad that the strange girl who had come to live in the forester's house had not her equal in the whole kingdom for skill as well as beauty thus the years slipped away during which jurla grew to be a woman now and then she caught glimpses of grethry as he rode out to hunt in the forest but when she saw him coming she hid herself behind the great trees for her heart was still sore at his forgetfulness. One day, however, when she was gathering herbs, he came upon her suddenly. Before she had time to escape, though, as she had stained her face and hands brown, had covered her beautiful hair with a scarlet cap, he did not guess her to be his foster sister. What is your name, pretty maiden? asked he. Lofertha, answered the girl with a low curtsey. "'Ah, it is you, then, of whom I've heard so much,' said he. "'You are too beautiful to spend your life serving the Forester's daughters. "'Come with me to the palace, and my mother, the Queen, "'will make you one of her ladies-in-waiting.' "'Truly, that would be a great fortune,' replied the maiden. "'And if you really mean it, I will go with you. "'But how shall I know that you are not jesting?' "'Give me something to do for you, and I will do it, whatever it is,' cried the young man eagerly, and she cast down her eyes and answered. "'Go to the stable, and bind the calf that is there, so that it shall not break loose in the night and wander away, for the forester and his daughters have treated me well, and I would not leave them without aught of my work still undone.' So Grethry set out for the stables where the calf stood, "'and wound the rope about its horns. "'But when he made it fast to the wall, "'he found that a coil of the rope "'had twisted itself round his wrist, "'and pull as he might, he could not get free. "'All night he wriggled and struggled "'till he was half dead with fatigue. "'But when the sun rose, the rope suddenly fell away from him, "'and very angry with the maiden, "'he dragged himself back to the palace.' "'She is a witch!' he muttered crossly to himself. "'And I will have no more to do with her.' And he flung himself on his bed and slept all day. Not long after his adventure, the king and queen sent their beloved son on an embassy to a neighboring country to seek a bride from amongst the seven princesses. The most beautiful of all was, of course, the one chosen, and the young pair took ship without delay for the kingdom of the prince's parents the wind was fair and the vessel so swift that in less time than could have been expected the harbour nearest the castle was reached a splendid carriage had been left in readiness close to the beach but no horses were to be found for every one had been carried off to take part in a great review which the king was to hold that day in honor of his son's marriage. "'I can't stay here all day,' said the princess crossly, when Grethry told her of the plight they were in. "'I am perfectly worn out as it is, and you will have to find something to draw the carriage, if it is only a donkey. "'If you don't, I will sail back straight to my father.' Poor Grethry was much troubled by the words of the princess. Not that he felt so much in love with her. During the voyage she had shown him several times how vain and bad-tempered she was. But as a prince and a bridegroom, he could not, of course, bear to think that any slight had been put upon her. So he hastily bade his attendants to go in search of some animal and to bring it once to the palace at which they were waiting. During the long pause the princess sat in the beautiful golden coach her blue velvet mantle powdered with silver bees drawn closely around her, so that not even the tip of her nose could be seen. At length a girl appeared, driving a young ox in front of her, followed by one of the prince's messengers, who was talking eagerly. "'Will you lend me your ox, fair maiden?' asked grethry jumping up and going to meet them. "'You shall fix your own price, and it shall be paid ungrudgingly. FOR NEVER BEFORE WAS KING'S SON IN SUCH A PLIGHT. MY PRICE IS SEATS FOR ME AND MY TWO FRIENDS BEHIND YOU AND YOUR BRIDE AT THE WEDDING-FEAST, ANSWERED SHE, AND TO THIS GRETHRY JOYFULLY CONSENTED. SIX HORSES WOULD NOT HAVE DRAWN THE COACH AT THE SPEED OF THIS ONE OX. TREES AND FIELDS FLEW BY SO FAST, That the bride became quite giddy and expected besides that they would be upset every moment but in spite of her fears nothing happened and they drew up in safety at the door of the palace to the great surprise of the king and queen the marriage preparations were hurried on and by the end of the week everything was ready it was perhaps fortunate that the princess was too busy with her clothes and her jewels during this period to pay much heed to Grethory, so that by the time the wedding-day came round, he had almost forgotten how cross and rude she had been on the journey. The oldest men and women in the town agreed that nothing so splendid had ever been as the bridal procession to the great hall, where the banquet was to be held, before the ceremony was celebrated in the palace. The princess was in high good humor, feeling that all eyes were upon her, and bowed and smiled right and left. Taking the prince's hand, she sailed proudly down the room, where the guests were already assembled, to her place at the head of the table by the side of the bridegroom. As she did so, three strange ladies, in shining dresses of blue, green, and red, glided in and seated themselves on the vacant bench immediately behind the young couple. The red lady was Sherlock who had brought with her the forester's daughters, and in one hand she held a wand of birch-bark, and in the other a closed basket. Silently they sat as the feast proceeded. Hardly anyone noticed their presence, or, if they did, supposed them to be attendants of their future queen. Suddenly, when the merriment was at its height, Jurlag opened the basket, and out flew a cock and a hen. TO THE ASTONISHMENT OF EVERYONE, THE BIRDS CIRCLE AROUND IN FRONT OF THE ROYAL PAIR, THE COCK PLUCKING THE FEATHERS OUT OF THE TAIL OF THE HEN, WHO TRIED IN VAIN TO ESCAPE FROM HIM. WILL YOU TREAT ME AS BADLY AS GRETHERY TREATED JERLOG, CRIED THE HEN AT LAST, AND GRETHERY HEARD, AND STARTED UP WILDLY. IN AN INSTANT ALL THE PAST RUSHED BACK TO HIM. THE PRINCESS BY his SIDE WAS FORGOTTEN and he only saw the face of the child with whom he had played long years ago. "'Where is Gerlock? he exclaimed, looking round the hall, and his eyes fell upon the strange lady. With a smile she held out a ring which he had given her on her twelfth birthday, when they were still children, without a thought of the future. "'You and none other shall be my wife,' he said, taking her hand, and leading her to the middle of the company. It is not easy to describe the scene that followed. Of course, nobody understood what had occurred, and the king and queen imagined that their son had suddenly gone mad. As for the princess, her rage and fury were beyond belief. The guests left the hall as quickly as they could, so that the royal family might arrange their own affairs, and in the end it was settled that half the kingdom must be given to the despised princess instead of a husband she sailed back at once to her country where she was soon betrothed to a young noble whom in reality she liked much better than grethry that evening grethry was married to jerlog and they lived happily till they died and made all their people happy also end of chapter 3 recording by mary agnew